Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We It's Saturday, so we're going to pick up with where we left off in the Gospels, the third Gospel, the book of Luke. We're to the last chapter in the book, chapter 24. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So this is after the crucifixion of Jesus and the burial and now it's the first day of the week uh, and the women who were faithful to jesus all the way up to his death on the cross have shown up to um with the prepared spices for his body similar to the way they probably picked this up when they were in africa for four centuries uh, the way people were mummified with spices and fragrant oils to keep the the stink the stench of the rotting flesh from smelling so bad so they're showing up to anoint jesus body um so this lets us know they clearly did not kidnap the body to pretend like he'd resurrected they were going there with the spices and oils to anoint it believing he was dead still verse two but they found this stone rolled away from the tomb so jesus is buried in what we think of as a cave it was a rock someone uh joseph of arimathea presumably had it chiseled out had the big boulder chiseled out so that um uh, uh, it was a cutout so that that's where the body was laid to rest with a large stone rolled against the door to keep it secure and um in, in tune um so but they see now when they've shown up to anoint the body that the stone has been rolled away verse three then they went in and did not find the body of the lord jesus so they've gone into the tomb and they don't see Jesus' body there. Verse 4, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So um, as the women are wondering what's up with this, where's Jesus at? Two people have appeared to them, men, and the men are wearing shining garments. It doesn't say um, um, white garments, but shining garments. And that's kind of unusual because... Um, that's like the only place I can think of in the Bible where it's uh, such garments are mentioned. And it seems to, it brings to mind uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was with uh, select few disciples and they witnessed him transfigure into sort of a body of light, like putting on, um, like turning on a light inside of a jack-o'-lantern and being illuminated that way. They witnessed Jesus in that sense. So, um, but I'm not clear, it's not clear, but it says shining garments. And like we discussed before, the possibility of time travel is something Jesus seems to have alluded to when he said that there were some people standing there who wouldn't taste death uh, till they see basically what we call the second coming. Uh, one of the ways that would be possible would be if something like tra time travel became a thing, becomes a thing in the future and someone from the future travel back then to witness it. We went over all that before. Um, so it seems to me that could be an explanation of it also. Whatever the case may be, the people who showed up were wearing those shining garments. Um, but they had a message also. Verse 5, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? So the uh, appearance of the people in the shining garments was enough to startle women um, so while they're kind of terrified, the message from the people in shining garments was, 
Why are you here looking for someone who's alive in a place of death? Why are you looking among the graves for someone who is alive? Verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. So these uh, people in shining garments are witnesses that Jesus is alive again. And bring, telling the women that they should call to mind the message that Jesus gave them previously. Uh, and here's the message, verse 7, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. So um, they're quoting the red letters, the things Jesus said. So even these people in shining garments know the significance of the red letters, apart from everything else in the Bible. They're um, telling the women to remember Jesus' message that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, and the third person speaking, um, must be delivered up, meaning his arrest was meant to happen. It was in his path. It was something he had to fulfill, but not just the arrest, also the crucifixion, which he also told the disciples was on its way to happen, um, but also the resurrection, that he would rise again. So verse 8, and they remembered his words. So once the uh, messengers, the people in the shining garments, mentioned that to the women, it came uh, to their mind again that Jesus did tell them that. So that also lets us know when Jesus gave that message, it wasn't just to the 12 male disciples, but clearly it also included the uh, women who were faithful to him and probably a multitude of other people also that aren't mentioned uh, by name besides the disciples. Verse 9, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. So there we have it there also. The narrator here is letting us know the women went back with the message that um, what they just experienced, um, and they returned it to the 11 disciples. It, there were 12, but we already read how one of them, Judas, committed suicide. That's why it's 11. But then notice what it says, and to all the rest. So that means even besides the women, the two or three women who are faithful to Jesus, um, all the way to and through the crucifixion, at least two of them are here now. So it says all the rest. That lets us know there was a whole lot of other people that were traveling alongside Jesus and the disciples, not just one or two. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So that takes all of the um, uh, prominent women out of the all the rest statement all right there. It's showing right here that the women who are reporting it back are those most prominent women who were most faithful. Mary Magdalene, the one who had the demons uh, that were cast out of her. Joanna, um, she's mentioned in another gospel as the wife of Shusa. Not really sure who that is. Um, maybe it's lost to time or mentioned in some other scriptures. Mary, the mother of James. That's Jesus' mother, Mary. James is the name of one of Jesus' uh, brothers, or I guess if you want to say half-brothers, um, and other women with them. So that lets us know. Besides those ones that are witnessing to the body being gone, um, there are plenty of others who are there also who are getting this news, this news flash. Uh, verse 11, and their words, um, did we miss one? Okay, number 11, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So it shows you where the men's hearts are, and also probably the others in the crowd 
that they witnessed the death, they witnessed the killing, they witnessed the murder, all the horror of it, and watching Jesus having to lug a cross around that he was going to be crucified on. They witnessed all that. So now to hear people say, hey, he's alive again, or at least his body is gone, it does seem like to them like fairy tales. Like, who can believe that? That sounds like nonsense. The same way people in modern times say, oh, how can you believe any of that? That Jesus walked around and performed miracles and cured people and then ascended to heaven. People just write it off as, oh, it's just fairy tales and fantasy. It can't possibly be true. Even though there's people, uh, contemporaries of his, that witnessed to it and documented the best way they know how, the same way we in modern times document things the best way we know how, and still they don't get believed. Um, it'd be just like if we all witnessed uh, the murder of George Floyd, and then, say, a few days later, someone says, I saw George Floyd walking around. It'd be very hard for people to believe it because everyone witnessed the horror of the murder. So um, it's understandable why doubts would arise in people when they hear uh, that he'd been resurrected. But this isn't them reporting, at least in this version of the Gospels, isn't reporting that he's resurrected. They're, at this point, just saying he's not there. His body is gone. They In this Gospel, he hasn't actually appeared to any of them um, physically. In one of the Gospels, at least to one of the women, he does. Um, but that's not what this gospel is reading, so we'll just stick to what it says here. Verse 12, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So the linen cloths are those same cloths, think like a mummy, that would be wrapped around the body, the corpse, for burial. So those cloths are there. Those um, He sees those, but the body itself, he doesn't see. So that seems to me even less likely. I mean, obviously, the disciples didn't suddenly get the cojones to go and take the body. They ran in fear when he was arrested. So why in the world would the disciples have nerve to, how in the world would the disciples suddenly have the nerve to go and claim the body, take the body, steal away the body from a tomb that was being guarded. So that doesn't make sense that um, it was the disciples behind it. And now we see one of the disciples has gone into the tomb and he sees the cloths that were wrapped around Jesus, basically the mummy cloths, like I said, um, still lying there. So even if they did kidnap the body or someone did steal away the body, that means they must have stood there while the guard while the guards were being distracted, I guess, and unwrapped the body. They took the linen cloths, they took the mummification cloths off the body before they stole them away. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but Jesus being transfigured makes more sense. And I know again, obviously it's an article of faith, and this brings to mind the um, shroud of Turin that people believe um, is the um, cloth or among the cloths that were uh, on, on the body of Jesus, the corpse of Jesus, and then that his transfiguration, um, his basically being turned on like a jack-o'-lantern, the light illuminating through his body, his being transfigured him, uh, transported him, supernaturally moved him out of the burial cloths and into uh, his next body, the resurrected body. Again, obviously, other articles of faith, but it's what it's how I picture what they must be thinking and seeing when the body is gone, but the clocks are still there. 
Um, so Peter saw all of that and he left wondering, well, what does this all mean? Verse 13, now behold, two of them were traveling this, that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So now um, two others of the disciples or among the followers are traveling on the road um, a distance, seven miles from Jerusalem where Jesus was murdered and crucified and buried. Or at least murdered and crucified. Um, verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So um, they're wondering what does all this mean as they're traveling on the road. Verse 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So it seems out of nowhere, out of the blue, uh, suddenly Jesus is walking along with them um, as they're discussing the events of the day uh, of the past few days. Verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so they, they did not know him. So somehow um, they don't know that Jesus is the one walking with them. And presumably this is either the disciples or either um close followers, people among those who really closely followed Jesus on his uh, during his ministry. So they would have recognized him, um, but they don't. And, it, and the narrator here, since it's not red letters, um, presumably Luke or some other scribe who's passed the message of the gospel of Luke down through time, whoever it is, is noting that somehow their eyes are restrained so that they don't recognize Jesus, even though he's right there with them. Verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So Jesus has appeared to them, is appearing to them now, and he's asking them questions. He's asked a couple of questions. What kind of conversation is this that, they, that they're having as they walk? And they're sad. So he's wondering, what's up? What are you talking about? What's on your minds? What are you discussing? Um, let me see. Um, so some other versions of the Bible may read, um, and they stood still looking sad. So either way, it's clear that they're depressed. They're down about what's going on. And Jesus is asking them, what's going on? What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? So the person, one of the two people, is being identified as Cleopas. Um, that doesn't sound like one of the disciples' names, although I seem to recall in one of the Gospels, um, Simon is also called Cleopas. But it doesn't sound like it's the same Simon who's also called Peter, since we were just discussing him before we got to these two. But it could be, but it's not clear. But one of them is um, is as is <clears throat> excuse me, one of them is named Cleopas, and he's responding to Jesus' question with a question, asking him, "Where have you been? <laughs> have you not noticed the news flash lately of what's happened and what's been going on? Have you been hiding under a rock?" Verse nineteen, and he said to them, "What things?" So they said to him, "The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth." who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Sort of like, duh, the things concerning Jesus. That's what we're talking about. We're wondering about what's happened with Jesus. The only big news that's been happening around here uh, in the last few days, and actually, I guess in the last two or three years, 
Jesus has been the headline maker. Because they're wondering, where have you been? How do you not know that? That um, And they're going to go into it further, verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. So they're saying, how is it that you missed that news that Jesus, the miracle worker, the healer, the preacher and the teacher, the one good person you can run into ever was arrested, crucified and con uh, condemned and crucified. So they're like, that's who we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So um, they're saying uh, they were hoping that Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of those scripture passages that they'd heard about uh, when they go to church or temple, synagogue, you know what I'm saying, when they go to worship. Um, they were hoping that Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of those scriptures. So this sort of says that they are disappointed, that they were thinking it was going to turn out a different way, that Jesus in all his power and signs and uh, wonders during his ministry would turn out to be the one to turn the world around and that would usher, that would usher in a whole new reign of righteousness in the entire world. So they're wondering, well, if Jesus and all his miracles wasn't the one to bring that about, they don't know what to do. They're confused about what does the scriptures mean then, since no one else has been like Jesus before or since. And yet he's not the one who uh, brought about the Armageddon, the, the um, consummation of all things when God is revealed. Um, but he did, just not in the way they were expecting, not in the grand flashy way they were thinking yet, but instead in a humble and meek way, uh, calling people to righteousness, to repentance, uh, to find salvation. Um, and so now they're also saying this is the third day since these things happened. So we know Jesus was crucified um, on one day and then uh, the day of preparation and then the Sabbath. And now this is the third day since those things. Um, and Jesus told them after those three days, he'd rise again. So they're wondering, well, um, we don't see him. And yet they hear the reports that his body isn't in the tomb. So they're just trying to figure out what's going on. What does all of this mean? Verse 22, yes. Okay, here it is, verse 22. And yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. So now this is when they're getting to, okay, it's been three days. And now some of the women who were with them in their company, part of the people following Jesus, went to the tomb early and um, they had amazing news. Verse 23, when they did not find his body, they came saying that, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So now the two men in shining garments are understood by the uh, women and the disciples to have been angels. That's what the shining garments apparently were about. And the angels part, um, the definition, the biblical definition of angels is messengers. So um, presumably that's why the people in shining garments are considered to be angels because they brought a message that he's risen. He's not there. He's risen just like he told you he was going to be. Um, Verse 23, did we read this? When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen, okay, seen a vision of angels. Verse 24, and certain of those who were with us 
went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So now this lets us know that this Cleopas can't be Simon Peter because he would have said he went to the tomb because it was Simon Peter and John the apostle who um, or the two male disciples who rushed to the tomb, at least in the Gospel of John, who went to see if what the women said was true. And they didn't find the body when they rushed there either. So this Simon Cleopas um, um, must be a different Simon, not the same Simon Peter. And I guess don't let that be too bad for instance, like we've read in the Old Testament when reading the lineage of the kings, the names repeat again and again and again from both kingdoms, the exact same names. So um, I guess it's not that um, baffling that people, more than one person will be called Simon. And this doesn't even include the Simon that arises when the other religion pops up after the Christian ministry into the uh, after the book of Acts. There's a Simon who works um, miracles and stuff, or at least performs signs. So Simon apparently is a common name um, back then, um, or among the people back then. Let's see, um, verse 24, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said them they did not see. So again, that was John, the disciple, and Simon Peter, verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So now Jesus has sort of had enough with their um, confusion, their foolishness. Jesus is calling it foolish. So their foolishness, and they're um, basically, I guess, foolishness in the fact that they're like he says, slow of heart to believe that they still aren't faithful. Even though they saw the miracles, they saw his different prophecies, even the ones he gave of what would happen to them, like Peter denying him three times uh, before the rooster crows. They know those things were told to them by him and they already came true. So why would they be so um hesitant to believe all of the prophecies that he gave, including the ones about him resurrecting. It seems to me that's what Jesus is talking about. Verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? So Jesus is asking them another question that um, in order for Jesus to complete his ministry, his mission, and to sit at the right hand of the power and make his enemies his footstool, um, that this is the this was what had to be done along that same path. So wouldn't it just make sense if he fulfilled those things that um, that of that path of the suffering, the denials, the betrayals, the the crucifixion, the burial, all of that. Um, if he didn't do if if he went through all that, wouldn't it make sense that the um, next steps on that path would be? him resurrecting and assuming power. Um, so he's asking them, doesn't that just make sense that uh, it for him to fulfill those different things that he prophesied of to make it to that point where he enters into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So um, the red letters were in verse 26. Now we're into verse 27 where the narrator, or whoever it is that's passed it down, is letting us know 
that after that, Jesus gave them a Sunday school lesson, basically, a Bible study, a scripture study, where he walked them through the things that Moses said that would be um, um, Moses, the Ten Commandments, Moses, and all the prophets. So that would be the ones that we're just about approaching in our other daily readings um, and what they said and the different scriptures that point to Jesus' mission and his ministry. Um, so Moses, even though he um, his mission or his part in the Bible, his words in the Bible, his efforts, his ministry were um, summed up all the way up to the book of Exodus where he dies and is buried. But the first books, first five books of the Bible are called the books of Moses, even though Moses couldn't possibly have still been writing and issuing those scriptures because he'd already died. They're still attributed to Moses the same way the Ten Commandments were attributed to Moses or the Ten Commandments were the things Moses um, in the narrative receives. And yet after his passing, all sorts of other ordinances and statutes and dogma, simply put, uh, arise. And they're also attributed to Moses, even though Moses couldn't possibly have been the one who put them out there. And Jesus makes that clear to us where um, in the Gospels where things like circumcision, they're attributed to Moses, but they're not really from Moses. They're from the forefathers. Other things like divorce and other topics like we've gone over as we've read, they get attributed to Moses, but they're not necessarily from Moses at all. They're um, almost certainly just religion, what we call in plain English religion. They're just the things people cook up to have people uh, walk the line and um, abide by, even though they themselves don't bother with trying to live by those standards at all. That's uh, all those things are um, what get attributed to people, but not necessarily part of it all. Just like how um, the whole Bible gets called the world word of God, yet uh, um, Christianity is only a tenth of that. Only in six of those books do we read anything about what Jesus says. And yet people thump their Bibles and say, oh, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be living by everything from Genesis to Revelation. And it just doesn't make sense. Like we've gone over again and again and again. So here, according to the narrator, Jesus, is, Jesus walked through the things that Moses said and the things that the prophets said and went through and pointed out the different scriptures that pertain to him. And presumably that's so that the uh, disciples could then see their eyes be open and realize that the prophecies of Jesus came to pass. They came true. Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, arrived, did his mission, did his ministry, and suffered as he was already predetermined to by the prophecies so that these things could come to pass for our benefit. Verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. So now they've gotten to their destination or close to where they were headed, and Jesus is still walking along with them, and they still don't know it's him. Verse 29, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. So um, they're just about where they want to go, but Jesus um, still on his mission is ready to keep going on his mission, but they've compelled him or uh, encouraged him, constrained him is the word they're using. They held him back 
from going on his mission to stay with them longer. Um, and he stayed. Verse 30, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. So now uh, at supper time, they're sitting down to eat. Jesus is doing what we would say, saying grace over the food, blessing it and breaking it to share it with them and gave it to them. So verse, oh, before we move on, there was one other thing. And he went in, the th part about constrained him. So um, this is um, them actual, an actual example of Jesus uh, having a schedule of what it is he needs to do at a mission and um, being about it and allowing humans, people to um, constrain him and hold up his mission. So I say that because some people will twist, some preachers will twist when Jesus, um, in another gospel, I think it's John, when um, Jesus appears to um, some of the women um, after the resurrection and um, he tells them, uh, don't be holding me, um, that some preachers will twist that to say, or don't cling to me is what it's, it reads, I think, in the New King James Version. Um, and some preachers will twist that to say, oh, don't hold me up. Don't hold me up. I have things to do. Um, that's not what Jesus was saying there at all. I think what Jesus was saying there was, don't cling to me now. Wait till I've ascended. That's when you can really cling to me and really hold on to me. He wouldn't be saying, don't hold me up. I got things to do because uh, Jesus sees the big picture. Jesus knows the big picture and where the paths lead for all of us. So why in the world would he be pressed for time? It doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, when in that saying of them constraining him, that's not what, I don't think that's what he was saying at all. Whereas here, it's making it clear that that's what they did. They constrained him from moving on on his mission, um, whereas he would have kept going, but he didn't. He took the time that they needed to stay with them and even break bread with them. Verse 31, then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. So after Jesus says grace and um shares the meal, breaking bread with them and sharing with them, that's when suddenly the uh, constraint over their eyes, the cover over their eyes, whatever it is that was over them to keep them from recognizing him as they were walking on the way is removed. And now they see him and they know him for who he is. They know it's Jesus sitting with them. But in that instant, something supernatural happens. He vanishes from their sight. Um, but notice it says from their sight. It doesn't mean he's left their presence any more than he's left our presence in modern times. Jesus is still with us as Christian believers. I know it's an article of faith, something we just have to believe, but it doesn't mean he's not with us. He's just not in our sight. They don't see him, but that doesn't mean he's not there. Just like when he was there, they still didn't see him. So that uh, is a faith thing, I think, is the, is the point for us to know that whether we see him or not, whether we were the disciples walking with him and seeing him or not, Jesus is still there and still aware of what we, the faithful to him, are doing and are going through and experiencing. So verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he taught with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So now they're basically kicking themselves saying, we knew it was something about him. We could feel it in our bones that something was different about him and just his presence and the things he was saying and the, uh, as we were just walking along with him. 
I think, again, that's another message for us as Christians, that though we may not recognize him with us, because um, he may be veiled, it may, his presence may be veiled us, from us, um, that doesn't mean he's not with us. He's still with us and waits for us, I think, in some instances to turn to him, to look to him and seek him for the things we experience and uh, go through in life. And he's right there all along, just waiting for us to look to him, to come to him, to come, have that come to Jesus moment and seek him for whatever it is we're dealing with and to recognize that burning in our soul um, when we know um, that Christ is with us and that we're not just walking through life alone. Verse 33, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. So they didn't tarry any longer as soon as they realized Jesus was walking with them and now has supernaturally vanished from their presence. They know this isn't the time to go ahead and keep eating. This is the time to get up and share the gospel, the good news that he is indeed risen and he has even appeared to us. Oh, and so one other thing about that, for Jesus to appear appear to them is one thing, or for him to appear with them, pray with them, and even break bread, that's a physical act. He actually physically handled something. So that means he's not just in some spiritual form. He's actually taken on a physical form. So Jesus apparently, once he's resurrected, and maybe clearly before then, because there were times, let's take it a bit at a time. First, he's able to have a phase change where he can move from physical dimension where he's able to actually physically handle things and break bread and even shows them in another gospel the print of the nails in his hands and they put their fingers in the print of the nails so he clearly has a physical form even though he's already resurrected so um his soul is still alive and present but he's able to move through a physical form and then also a spiritual form or at least a non-physical form and then back into it because I was just what I was going to say before and got sidetracked because even uh, he appears in a, maybe it's in this gospel maybe in another one where he appears to them and doubting Thomas and he tells them to put his fingers in the nails and tells them a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have so it may be thought of as a spiritual body that he's able to uh, take on, but it's clearly not. It's some other sort of body because like you said, the spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, but clearly he has flesh and bones if he's, if he's able to handle bread and break it and share it with them. So it's something beyond the spiritual body. It's something supernatural where he's able, like I said, to change phase, to be physical in this dimension, but also somehow change and move into some other dimension. Um, maybe spiritual and then back to physical and then spiritual again, not real clear, but whatever it is, he's clearly able to do it and they've witnessed it and they've risen up to go back to where the other disciples are gathered and share the news with them. Verse 34 is saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So this is where the Simon part comes in. His name was Cleopas earlier. Now they're calling him Simon, but I don't think this is Simon Peter. This must be another disciple named Simon that they're talking about because of the whole conversation of when um, earlier when the ones he appeared to said certain of us went to the tomb and couldn't find him. So he would have just said, I went to the tomb and didn't see him or 
we went to the tomb and didn't see him, I would think that would have made more sense in how it said. But however it said, one of the disciples named Simon or Cleopas is who um, they're saying Jesus appeared to after he resurrected. And oh, that was the other thing. So in this resurrected body, clearly he's able to take on a form um, that isn't recognizable to them physically, but it is still a physical form. And then also able to vanish, meaning he's able to move through either dimensions or forms to be able to do that. And again, articles of faith, but um, it is what's written. So it's why we're reading it. But also it's not necessarily just an article of faith. We can appear to people now in a physical form, but can also appear on a video screen, on a form, on a phone, excuse me, or on a phone call in another form. So it's not exactly only exclusively something supernatural where we can mimic those same things. Um, so they're not necessarily just articles of faith um, because like I said, we can mimic them in different ways through technology. Um, Jesus was able to do it apparently without the technology or at least without the knowledge, the, the disciples and his contemporaries at that time, knowing and having the knowledge of the technology for him to be able to do it. Verse 36, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. So now Jesus has appeared to them again. This is at least the third appearance, uh, one um, once uh, in another gospel to the women who were faithful and went to the tomb, once um, on the road, to, uh, to Emmaus, where we just read, and now here a third time um, to the disciples um, as they're gathered together. And his message to them is peace. That's what he shows up with, with a message of peace, probably to calm their hearts. The fact that he's suddenly able to appear just like that in the middle of them, like Star Trek being beamed up, suddenly he's there. Um, verse 37, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that and suppose they had seen a spirit. So, um, like I said, he suddenly beamed up or suddenly just appeared or materialized. So, uh, just like that, they're thinking something crazy, spooky is happening. They're thinking they've seen, they're seeing a ghost because he's appeared to them out of nowhere. Verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? So, yes, he did probably startle them by appearing to them. But he appeared to them with a message of peace, not, oh, I'm here to get you. Or like the Grim Reaper or something there to go just wipe them all out. Nothing like that. He's appeared to them with a message of peace. And for some reason, that brings to mind, so for me, where you see in movies like, um, I can't even think of one that comes to mind, where like an alien will appear to people uh, with a message of peace, but they're not received peacefully. Because humans, that's not what's in the human heart. Something strange, something new, something different stirs up fear in people. And usually people react to fear with violence. So, um, but in this case, they Jesus has appeared to them and he's wondering, why are you so terrified? What are you so afraid of? His message was peace, even though he startled them. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? So now he's appeared to them, not sure what form, in the form where like he appeared to the ones who were on the road and they didn't physically recognize him, but he was still there with them. 
or in the form he appeared to them when he walked with them and then was crucified. It's not real clear, but he's appeared to them and it's terrifying them and they're thinking they've seen a ghost and he's asking them, what's up with the fear? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so doubtful? Verse 39, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So even though some preachers will say he's appeared in the spiritual form or a spirit body, that's not true. He's in a physical body. He's not just in spirit because, uh, like he says, spirits don't have flesh and bones. He's got flesh and bones and he's appearing to them in some other version of a body, but it is still a physical appearance, even though he was able to appear out of nowhere. So, like I said, it seems to me, I picture something like Star Trek, where he's just beamed up and suddenly appears, not just like a ghost, where it'd be like a hologram, uh, Gemini hologram showing up like that, where you're seeing and hearing, but you can't actually touch them. That's what a spirit or a ghost would be like, but he's not appearing like that. He's showing them, he's not just appearing in spirit, not just an appearance, he's actually physically there. And he's telling them, handle him and see if you don't believe it, that he's not just a ghost or a hologram. Um, verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So he's given them the message, but he's also letting them, if they want to, look for evidence, look for proof, handle him and see, as he said, so they can see he's not just some ghost. He's actually physically there. Verse 41, but while they still did not believe, for joy and marvel, he said to them, have you any food here? So even though they're amazed by the fact that he's able to appear out of nowhere and yet have a physical form that they can handle and see and even see the wounds in his body from being crucified. So they're basically astonished and just mind blown because uh, clearly they hadn't seen anything like that. Who gets to see things like that? Um, and for whatever reason, it calls to mind a couple of things. For me, personally, it calls to mind when, like I said before, a friend of mine and I were at the Gasparilla Festival in Tampa in Ybor City, and we saw a ghost uh, that appeared and then wasn't there. Uh, I know that's an article of faith for anyone else who wasn't there with me to see it, with us to see it. So I totally understand that. But it also calls to mind what preachers will tell you that um, about uh, uh, the spirit and um, a spiritual body and all of that. Um, Jesus is showing them it's not just the spiritual body that he has. He has a physical body um, that he's able, he, I don't know if everyone who passes on and makes it to that level will be able to do it. Clearly he is able to do it, but it also calls to mind what the other teachings of another religion after Christianity in the Bible that tells you flesh and bones can't enter the kingdom of God. Well, Obviously, that's not true because um, Jesus was able to take on flesh and bones, and clearly, he's the king. So it, maybe everyone else isn't able to do that, but he is. And then another thing about what they say about the devil um, being locked away in heaven. Well, how is he locked away in heaven but still active on earth? Then what good does it do to have him locked away in heaven? And if he's locked away in heaven... What's locked away in heaven if his spirit is still alive on earth? It doesn't make sense. That would mean something physical is being held in heaven. But then that contradicts what they say, that flesh and bones can enter the kingdom of God. They both can't be true. That Another one of those religious teachings 
of that religion that can't possibly be true by their own teachings. Again, if flesh and bone can't enter the kingdom of God, then how is the devil being held there, yet his spirit is able to roam the earth? Then what's being held in heaven? So it just doesn't make any sense. And what sense does it make anyway that the devil, of all people, would be able to enjoy heaven uh, while causing havoc on earth? It just doesn't make sense. But it is what people believe. It's religion. So believe what you want, but it just doesn't make sense. Verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, have you any food here? So again, it's not clear whether he's appeared in his pre-crucifix physical form as Jesus or as some other form as the Son of Man now or that they just don't recognize physically, except that he showed them the wounds in his hands uh, on his body and even greeted them with peace and is even performing miracles similar to what he performed in the breaking of bread like he did before the crucifixion. So in signs and wonders, he's showing that it's still him, even if not with the same physical appearance that they were used to before. So they're still astonished by his presence with them. And while they are, he's asking them, have they any food? Um, so they're rejoicing that Jesus is with them again. And Jesus is saying, let's eat. Let, uh, again, proving that he's not just some spiritual form, spiritual body, but something else taking on some physical form. Verse 42, so they gave him a piece of, broiled, of a broiled fish and some honeycomb. So Jesus asked them if they have any food and they're feeding him. But look at what they're feeding him. They're feeding him um, the fish and some honeycomb, um, but he's not drinking with them. There's no mention of wine. Because remember, Jesus said he wouldn't partake in the fruit, that fruit of the vine, meaning wine, until the kingdom of God comes. So if the kingdom of God had come at this point, then I would think there would be mention of him also partaking in wine with them. And people might think, like they say, Bible thumpers, that booze is evil, it's sinful, it's, it's wicked to drink alcohol. But again, that's just Bible thumping nonsense, because like we read in the book of John, that was Jesus' first miracle in that book of turning uh, water into wine. So again, it can't possibly be a sin to drink alcohol if that was one of Jesus' first miracles uh, in the Bible. So we yeah, really just have to be careful with confusing religion with Christianity. They're not the same thing. Um, so now Jesus has gotten some food now that he's resurrected and with the disciples. Verse 43. And I guess that makes sense since he broke bread with the other disciples and then vanished from them without eating. So now he's reappeared to the rest of the disciples now that they've all gathered together. And now he's eating with them. Verse 43. And he took it and ate in their presence. Got ahead of myself. So here, Jesus didn't just break the bread with them. He's actually with them, joining them, and he's eating with them. So clearly not just some ghost, not just some spiritual body, but an actual physical presence with them. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So now, previously, we saw where the narrator said that um, he expounded on uh, Moses and the prophets. Here, Jesus himself is including the Psalms. He didn't just say Moses and the prophets. He's including the Psalms. 
And I think that's for a reason because Psalms, I think it's Psalm 22, most specifically lays out a whole lot of different things that happened to Jesus with his suffering and the crucifixion and uh, rejection and, uh, and uh, betrayal. All of those, many of those things are laid out in the book of Psalms that aren't mentioned in the prophets or by Moses. So I, I, I think that's noteworthy where the narrator, the scribe, mentioned Moses and the prophets. Jesus includes the Psalms to let us know to look to all those places for the scriptures that pertain to him. Not that all of them pertain to him, but that there are scriptures in them that do pertain to him. And we've had, we notice some of those, try to point those out as we read in our other daily readings here on the Naked Truth. So Jesus is letting them know um, that those things point to him and he had to do those as part of his mission and his ministry. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So um, that lets us know that it takes Jesus intervening for us to be able to understand uh, all, all of the different scriptures that pertain to him. So that means that a child couldn't necessarily understand it. It takes some divine intervention to be able to see the light in what the scriptures have as veiled references to Christ. Um, and I suppose that's one of the things we should pray for in our seeking, the naked truth of what it is Jesus and uh, by extension God has for us to know that's in the Bible. Verse 46, then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So after opening their understanding to the scriptures of what it is that pertains to him, now he's saying, now that you see that those things point to me, Jesus, uh, now you see why it was necessary for him to go through the things he went through um, and then rise again the third day. Oh, and that's what I meant to bring up before um, about pointing to the scriptures that pertain to him. Um, oh man, it slipped my mind again just right quick. Um, maybe it'll come back to me. So verse 47, so verse 46, so Jesus was saying, uh, so he's pointed out to them the things that point that pertain to him in the scriptures, um, in the Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, and telling them that basically that's the path that he had to walk and the things that he had to suffer and endure to achieve his um, the point of his ministry, even to the uh, rising from the dead the third day. What was it? Something about that. I don't know. Verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus is summing up what the mission of us as Christians, um, as far as even evan evangelism goes, um, is to spread the gospel that repentance is the message. So recognizing where you go wrong admitting it, not sweeping it under a rug, but admitting it, confessing it, and asking forgiveness for it. And in that way, remission, so payment of the sins being accomplished. So recognize when we're wrong, repent of it, admit we're wrong, say we're sorry, and in that sense, have our sins forgiven. Not that we won't still have to um, deal with the repercussions of those things we've done and said, 
but that at least will be forgiven for them. The, the sin of them, the iniquity of them will be forgiven. Um, but again, not necessarily that the plant from those seeds we planted won't still sprout up and we have to deal with them when they do. Verse 47, I'm sorry, we read that one. Oh, um, oh and then beginning at Jerusalem, so that that's where um, the ministries begin. The whole mission, the Christian ministry begins starting there with the um, people who have, who are privy to the scriptures to be able to recognize, oh yeah, those do point to the things that happened to him, that we did to him. So that it'll start there and can from there spread. Um, verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things. So he's letting the disciples know that that's what uh, their role in the big picture of it is, that they witness the fulfillment of those scriptures from the uh, Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. They witnessed the fulfillment of those things and that that's what their role is now to carry it forward. forward. Verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Jesus is saying the promise of the Father presumably is the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. And he's telling them to um, they'll get the fulfillment of that promise, um, but that it'll it's going to be in time and letting them know to hang out there in the city of Jerusalem um, until that time comes, until the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost, basically, um, happens, which we read about in the book of Acts in the first and second chapter. Uh, we read about uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus is giving in verse 49. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, as he, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. So now he's led them out of, the, out of Jerusalem to the area called Bethany and giving them a parting blessing. Verse 51, now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So now Jesus has uh, basically finished this part of his ministry, given them a blessing, and um, is leaving them, and according to the narrator, being carried up into heaven while they watch. Verse 52, and they worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy. So they witnessed the ascension, and they've gone back to the city rejoicing in the fulfillment of the scriptures that they're getting the witness. Verse 53, and we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So uh, the narrator is letting us know that the disciples returned to their own lives, but didn't just leave it behind. They continued praising, rejoicing, and as we read, carrying forward the message of the gospel of Jesus and his ministry. And we got a couple of those versions in the Bible, but there are other scriptures that include Jesus' message that didn't make it into the Bible. So anyway, I that was the last verse in this chapter, so that's where we're in the reading. And that actually is the last chapter in this book. So we've wrapped up another book, the book of Luke. If you've read me before, you know this is not the first, second, or even the third time we've read through this. But it is um, uh, this time, but we're posting it here on Anchor um, and whatever platform you're listening on. I thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. Hope it's a blessing for you and hope you'll join me again. God bless you. Love you for it. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.